The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. MLB show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 89 of the Underdog Sports MLB show. Back after a one week absence, saving the world is my co-host Bryce Holden. Uh, Bryce, we missed you last week. It was fun doing a little family setup in the Medorsky family basement. Uh, and I know you have a little bit of a family setup of your own right now. How is Illinois, but not Chicago. Illinois, but not Chicago is fine. The family setup could use some work. Uh, <laughs> I'll put it like Hannah's here. Hannah and I are sharing my mom's apartment. And she, um, you know, like it has its ups and downs. A little bit of downs, a little bit of ups. But, um, you know, we, got, uh, we watched Step Brothers one day. Hannah had seen Step Brothers, right? Step Brothers, she had never seen. What was her uh, immediate reaction? Um, on our li- well, uh, on our list of movie characters, intelligence. Where did they compare this movie to? Where did she compare it to Sherlock Gnomes? We watched Sherlock Gnomes last night. We we, <laughs> we watched it again. We we love Sherlock Gnomes, but uh, Dale and Brennan, um, with a, with a gap. It was in the list. They they ranked just ahead of Borat and Forrest Gump on movie character intelligence. Just ahead. Did you have you had Borat in front of Forrest Gump? Now Borat is a, in front of Forrest Gump. Dale and Brennan are right behind Hubie Halloween. All right, I'm going to ask you this, and then we'll talk baseball. Who do you think had the better random White House appearance? Uh, Borat taking a dump outside the White House, or uh, Forrest Gump drinking so many Pepsis that he couldn't get, or sorry, Pepsis or Dr. Pepper? It's Dr. Pepper, right? I think it was Dr. Pepper. Or yeah. Forrest Gump drinking so many Dr. Peppers that when he meets JFK, the first thing he says is, I have to pee. I feel like you're, you're a big LBJ fan. I, I thought the weird sexual tension between LBJ and Forrest Gump is where you were going to go. With it was LBJ, not Kennedy? He went, at first he went to, when he was on the All-American team, that was during the Kennedy administration. And then it was the ping pong. It was LBJ. Yeah. What a life. Forrest Gump. God willing, we all live a life like that. Maybe I'm not. Doing, I'm doing my best out in this middle of Illinois. <laughs> You're already halfway on a journey across the country. God, it feels like a different country. Well, I'm not really sure what it feels like. Not doing, I don't do great with time zones. I was going to say, if nothing else, it's a different time zone. But that one's only one hour. Central time is not too bad. Uh, we will jump into baseball. Uh, so for number 89, this is a very, very hard-to-find number in sports. Uh, Mike Ditka is the only notable athlete to wear it. Um, and, in fact – Kevin number- Boss. Kevin Boss, that's true. When I search Pro Football Hall of Fame, obviously Kevin Boss did not come up. But, yeah, great part of a couple giant Super Bowl – or just one of the Super Bowl teams. One or both? I think just one, but I don't remember who the tight end was. I think the tight end on the second one, I want to say, was Jake Ballard. Did we really win a Super Bowl? Oh, Mark Bavaro was 89. 
Well, Bavara won in the 80s, but uh, for the first time ever, number 89 was worn in an MLB game this year, and it was actually by a Yankee, and that is pitcher uh, Miguel Zahure. Uh, it's spelled Y-A-J-U-R-E, but it's pronounced, according to baseball reference, Zahure, and he was 0-0 with a 1-2-9 ERA in three games, and that is the extent of number 89 in baseball history. It was Jake Ballard and Bear Pasco. Oh, not my boy Henry Hynoski, though. Hynoski the machine. I love it. Everyone likes Hynoski. Best fullback in the game. Um, but sticking, I guess not at all close to Chicago, Atlanta, but, um, you know, the one big shortcoming the Braves had in that 3-2 series lead they had in the NLCS was – they didn't have any pitching to help put the Braves away. Uh, we talked or to put help put the Dodgers away. We talked about them signing Drew Smiley last week to a one-year, eleven million dollar deal. That one seemed a little bit of dicey, a little bit of a dicier move compared to this. Um, but the Rays announced today they had drafted this pitcher all the way back um, in 2002 in the third round. He actually made his major league debut for the Braves. Uh, but Charlie Morton, the 37-year-old right-hander, one-year, $15 million contract with the Braves. Uh, this year, overall, Charlie Morton had a 4.74 ERA and nine starts. Had some shoulder issues. Uh, again, gave up six runs on opening day. But from there, 3.72 ERA and seven starts after going on the IL. I mean, the postseason heroics, we've talked about it. But 2.7 ERA and 20 that's a, that's a perfect signing. That's exactly what that team needed. 100%. I mean, 2-7 I mean, ERA, 20 postseason innings, finished third in the Cy Young, 2019, 305 ERA, 11.1 Ks per nine, 194 two-thirds innings. I mean, look, we figured when the Rays declined him for $15 million, some team was going to jump on Charlie Morton. Um, I mean, the past four seasons, if you go back to 2017, when he remade his career with Houston, 47 and 18, 334 ERA, 10.6 Ks per nine. So this guy has the experience. Uh, and you look at this Braves team now, I mean, again, you had Ian Anderson, Max Freed, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson. All of those guys were great in the postseason, but they're kids. Um, you know where Charlie Morton was born? Flemington. And I only know that because I was looking at his Wikipedia page today. You know who else was born in Flemington? Yeah, uh, my, That sister of mine who's in the other room. Was she really? Hannah, where were you born? <laughs> were you born in Flemington? She was. Does it say on his Wikipedia page, did he go to high school in Jersey? I got too excited by the fun. Uh, no, I went out. I actually went to high school in a town in Reading, Connecticut. Got it. All right, but I'll count him towards my Jersey list. Uh, again, Morton drafted by the Braves in the third round in 2002, made his debut with them in 08, pitched 16 games, and then was traded to the Pirates in June 2009 uh, for Nate McLeod. Do you remember that guy? Made a couple all-star teams? Yeah, McLeod was – I, I, did he win a batting title? I feel like he, he may have been in the running one year. I think Freddie Sanchez won the batting title, but I think Nate McLeod did have some good 300 average years. Yeah, he was a, I mean, that's a solid player. His career is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Uh, you look at Morden, um, according to Sarah Langs, and there's a whole metric behind this, which I don't really know how to explain, but uh, since 2019, his curveball was the most valuable non-fastball pitch in all of baseball and the third most valuable pitch overall behind Garrett Cole and Lance Lynn's four-seamers. Uh, again, they're going to get Mike Soroka back next year, um, and you figure they go into next year with Soroka, Freed, Morden, Drew Smiley, Ian Anderson, and then have Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson as the long man in the bullpen. And this is a big if. If they sign Marcelo Zuna and bring him back, 
do the Braves overtake the Dodgers as the favorites in the National League now that they shored up their one main issue, which was rotation depth? No. I, I don't think there's any scenario which the Dodgers are not not only the favorites in the National League heading into next season, but they'll be the favorites to win the World Series. All right, let me rephrase my question then. Um, do you think this – the Padres finished with the second-best record in the National League last year. Do you think the Braves now are the clear number two? I, I always thought the Braves were the number two. I think the Braves are a really good team, and they have been for years. So this, ask- core, this, this Braves core is really good. And you'd think they're all young enough that all their position players – other position players plus Freed and Soroka project to get better. So now just having that anger, that veteran anchor who's been there before in the playoffs uh, to solidify everything. I mean, I don't see them. I do not see the Braves taking a step back, which means an NLCS appearance. So MLB trade rumors, once arbitration's factored and thinks their payroll is going to be uh, north of $113 million, give or take. Um, given all of that, and there still is some uncertainty with whether or not there'll be a DH in both leagues next year, uh, do you think this means that they're expecting Marcelo Zuna to move for greener pastures elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, that's just a one-year deal, so they shouldn't, it shouldn't really impact their long-term financial planning. And Ozuna's going to demand a multi-year contract this offseason, unless if the COVID finances fuck up all the team's payrolls. But, I mean, based on the season as Ozuna put together last year, there's no reason he should expect any – I mean, what do you think Ozuna gets? Is he a $100 million player? I think so. I think he's a five for 100. I think the bad plays. But, I, again, I think him, the Nelson Cruz's of the world, they're not going to sign anywhere until there's some clarity of what the DH is going to look like going forward. Um, only because I know Ozuna's agents, which is now CAA, switched agencies, are marketing him as an outfielder. But I mean, You have to market him as an outfielder. He, he's a masher, though. I mean, he can play in the outfield. He can play in the outfield. He's not great at it. Better yeah. than Cruz. I mean, look, the way I look at this, this Morden contract and the Drew Smiley contract, you're paying Cole Hamels $8 million last year. You were paying Marquecas $6 million. This more or less replaces those contracts. Um, I know they didn't end up paying those guys that much because of the pandemic contracts and the prorating there. But I, to me, if they can find a way to bring back Ozuna, they let Donaldson walk a year ago, brought in Ozuna, and it worked again. Um, I just think as good as Acuna, Freeman, and Albies is, and even Darnold, uh, Ozuna is kind of the one that keeps that whole lineup together on some level. Uh, but the craziest part of all this to me is, so the last time that Charlie Morton pitched for the Braves was in 2008. Um, can you name, Bryce, any of the other people who were in the rotation for the Braves? What year? 2008. The 2008 Braves rotation? One guy, one. I'll, I'll give you some hints. One guy uh, just made his first appearance on the Hall of Fame ballot. One guy is known for a hilarious Met trade. One guy's got a great name and was a good sinker ball pitcher. And I have nothing to say about this last guy. If you guess him, uh, tip of the cap to you, my friend. Oh, wait, Braves. Hmm. So we're well, there's no Maddox, Clive, and Smoltz. Nope, we're, we're out of the big three era. So we're really just grasping it. Was Tim Hudson on the Braves yet? You got the staff ace. Good start. Um, yeah. Ali Perez? Good guess. Another left-hander, though. Not Ali Perez. Oh, boy. Other nonsense. Pelfrey? <laughs> no. <laughs> Pelfrey was a righty, but these are your good guesses. Oh, boy. Oh, God. Um, obligatory Matt Harvey shout-out. Yep. I think Harvey was still uh... – in high school. 
I need another one more hint, but then I'm gonna quit the guessing game. Um, he was a good hitter. I mean, that's probably not gonna help you, but Mike Hampton. Mike Hampton. <laughs> and then the okay, other two, another hint. That hint worked. And then the other the other two were Jair Jurgens, who was good there for a few years. Should have said double J. And no, well, adult, another double J, Jojo Reyes. I have nothing to say about Jojo Reyes. Wasn't even gonna try to think of one. Yeah, not worried. So sticking in the National League amongst playoff teams, uh, the Braves made some moves for their free agent move for their free agent acquisition. Uh, and the Cubs have officially ushered in the end of the era of what I would say was objectively the most successful era in franchise history in the past hundred years. Um, after overseeing a golden era of baseball on the north side of Chicago, where a World Series was experienced for the first time in 108 years, Theo Epstein announced last Tuesday that he will be stepping down from his post atop the team's front office. Uh, GM Jed Hoyer is now team president. He just signed a five-year extension in that post. Uh, and Theo said, I am so incredibly grateful for the, first, for the last nine years. It's been a really life-changing experience for me and my family. Um, and his decision came again. He was entering the final year of a five-year extension. Sounds like he wasn't going to re-up anyway because Theo was all about the Bill Walsh theory of coaching that 10 years is a perfect year to stay with the team. Um, and Epstein pretty much cited three primary factors in his decision to move. Uh, one is that the offseason will likely require decisions that could have a long-term impact on the franchise. So we thought Hoyer, he's going to be the guy going forward. He should be the one to make those decisions. Two, COVID-19 has affected the Cubs' financial situation, contributing to layoffs across multiple departments across the organization. Uh, and he pretty much, in a way, is foregoing his $10 million salary so that people within the organization keep their jobs. Uh, and the big thing, too, was continuity. He thought Hoyer was ready to take the job. He was ready to take over. Uh, he specifically said Jed is ready to take over. He's been a huge part of our success here and has really been a huge part of my success Huge part of success in my career in general. Uh, Hoyer and Epstein joined the Cubs prior to 2012. Again, they tanked for a couple years, but Joe Madden comes in in 2015. They make the NLCS that year, and their efforts culminated, culminated in the 2016 World Series Championship, ending the team's 108-year drought. Again, this is the second curse he broke. Broke the curse of the Bambino in 04, won rings in Boston 04 and 07. Uh, and since 2015, the Cubs have reached the playoffs in five or six years, winning three NL Central titles and reaching the NLCS three times, and their 505 wins in the six-year period are second to only the Dodgers in the National League. Along the way, Epstein became one of just five executives in baseball history uh, to win a World Series with two organizations. So before we get to Theo's accomplishments, um, to me, the most interesting comment is Theo's comments at the end when he said, and maybe that tells me is what I think I'm great at and really enjoy is building and transformation and triumphing. Maybe I'm not as good and not as motivated by maintenance, so to speak. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on this in general of the guy who, in my opinion, unequivocally the best general manager in our lifetime in baseball, uh, riding off into the sunset temporarily? Uh, I mean, how temporarily do we think? We'll get to that in a second. Just give the initial thoughts at first. I mean, look, if this is the end of Theo's career, which I guess is how you phrase the question, then I think he, un I mean, he, he, I mean, I would probably take the, make the case that he, he's as responsible for the downfall of baseball as anyone. Which is interesting because he's self-aware of that. He's, he says, as a guy who loves baseball as much as I do, I'm aware of how much I ushered in the analytics movement in the game. I mean, one, the analytics. Two, there's a whole – The I mean, Red Sox and Cubs have massive fan bases across the country. Yeah, I, I think that's safe to say. That's, that's a safe, bold assumption. 
But ever since they won, those fan bases have been a little different. They're a lot less devoted. There's a little bit less devotion, and there's a little less intrigue. The storylines aren't really there when you have two cornerstone franchises in the midst of their curses. Yeah, it, it was always something. You could always say, this is the year. This is the year. This is the year for both of those franchises. Every year for the better part and over a century in the Cubs case. Uh, and now there's th- that appeal isn't there. That, that intrigue level isn't there for a casual and for the casual fan. Like it was always like, oh, is this going to be the time the Cubs finally get it done? Are the Red Sox going to get it done? Maybe. They have a good team. But those two massive plot lines are no longer – they're not there for, for baseball fans. I also think the way if you talked about – I don't want to say rune baseball, but uh, Theo pop, I would say Theo popularized the process even before uh, Sam Hinkie in Philadelphia because he took over in Chicago – and all they did was lose for three years, but they got Baez, they got Bryant. And that's what then led the Astros to then tank and start a process of their own. And you're seeing teams do it now. Uh, I mean, again, I think in a game like baseball, 162 games, it's even easier to tank just because of how the game works with the minor leagues, especially. But no teams yeah, were actively also, doing that before Theo. Baseball's weird, baseball's weird to tank in. I mean, if you have, I mean, you could have me and you at the plate, but if you have Scherzer, Pete Kershaw on the mound. You're going to win some games based on the pitching. I feel like baseball, you can kind of base everything. I mean, the better pitcher usually wins the game. No, that's that's 100% true. I mean, devast all your pitching assets if you're trying to tank. That would be my advice to tanking baseball teams. Theo overall with the Red Sox, 839 and 619. With the Cubs, he was 705 and 651. Total record as a GM, uh, 1544 and 1271. Again, those three World Series championships with two of the historically most unlucky franchises in all of sports. Uh, I think we could both agree it doesn't happen a lot, but whenever Theo decides to fully call it a day, he's ending up in Cooperstown, right? No doubt. No arguments Every, against Everything it. I just said. All right. ruining baseball. So here's some of my follow-up questions. Uh, the first of which, I mean, Theo said he wants to maybe be part of an ownership group, maybe the team president of an organization, which I think will make a lot of sense. Uh, but if come 2021, the Phillies and the Mets are called with an opening for their president of baseball ops positions, do you think that's intriguing to Theo, or do you think he truly is done with the front office side of things for a little bit? I mean, I don't, I don't think Philly is particularly appealing to him. And not to get any additional hate from Philadelphia fans, but uh, I mean, somebody as accomplished as Theo is probably not going to go to Philadelphia unless he can live in New York. But if he wants to live in New York, then he'll probably just work for the Mets. Okay. No, I I agree with all of you there. I do think we're not going to see Theo in the front office for a little bit. Um, But one thing that I have circled on my calendar, uh, 2024 is not only the next presidential election, but it is also the year that Rob Manfred's contract expires as the commissioner of baseball. Uh, Theo will be, I believe, 51, 52 years old by 2024. Do you think there's any realistic scenario where Theo Epstein is tasked with the man, tasked with the job of saving the game of baseball as commissioner? Because I hate to say it, it really makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, it makes sense on the world from the outside. But if Theo's committed to being a family guy and spending time away from the game jumping into a commissionership probably not ideal i also i mean you have to look at which what type of person is a commissioner i, I don't know if theo really gives off a commissioner fine you 
I mean, like commissioners are hated by everyone. I think they, I think with a guy like Theo who has not only the baseball pedigree, but the Ivy league education and has worked with owners in his capacity as GM and team president of both the Cubs and the Red Sox. I think the hope is that he could be the guy to bridge the two sides. Um, look, I think Manfred, it's so rare commissioners don't go out on their own terms. So something tells me Manfred's going to be back in 2024, especially because every one of his decisions seem to benefit the owners. Cause again, they're the ones who elect them and pay him. But yeah, I mean, they, Manfred, it would, be, it would be Theo's biggest challenge yet. Saving baseball. After ruining it, he can go in and save it. <laughs> Full circle. All right. Last question I want to ask on this is with the Cubs. I mean, look, I think Jed Hoyer, is extremely qualified. He's been the GM right by Theo's side all these years. Now just slides into a team president role. Uh, was running baseballs with the Padres prior, so has his experience there. A lot of tough decisions that he's going to have to make with the Cubs this year, uh, especially given the Ricketts seem like they want to pinch pennies. You have Baez hitting free agency soon. You have Brian hitting free agency soon. Rizzo and Wilson Contreras. Uh, if you're Jed Hoyer, and there's been rumors that the Nationals uh, are interested in acquiring Chris Bryant, um, what, what do you do with these guys going into the season? And is there any scenario where given his performance last year, if you can't trade Chris Bryant, that rather than pay him 19 million this year, you non-tender him? No, that's ridiculous. You, you, you got to, that, that's, that's a bad idea. Not get, I mean, look, do you trade Bryant? Well, who, if you were, can I, I have to, I have to flip it and ask you a question. First. Flip it. Love it. Who do you rebuild around if you're the Cubs? Which of these current guys is are you gonna? To me, to me, I think you. I think the odd man out is ultimately going to be only Bryant. Um, and the reason I think that is, I think Rizzo's at the point where he's in his mid thirties that he'll take that con. He'll take the Jose Abreu contract. I think he'll take the slight hometown discount. The the fourteen to seventeen million dollars a year range because he's so beloved in Chicago. I think he's comfortable there, uh, and I do think he's the unofficial captain of that team. And I think a lot of Cubs fans will tell you the same thing. Um, I, I think Baez, last year notwithstanding, has the most oh, yeah. upside of the group. He's the one that you can't let go. I mean, the things that he does as a five-tool player, it's short. Um, and I think Wilson Contreras, it's really hard to have an elite catcher. He's one of the five best in the game. To me, Bryant's the odd man out. He's going to be 30 when he hits free agency. Boris is his agent. And he's going to want to get paid like an elite superstar. And honestly, since the MVP season, He's been an above-average player, but he's nowhere near, in my mind, that twenty-five to thirty million dollar a year player. Like the MVP right. season, no, I, I agree. He, he hasn't he hasn't proven to be a twenty-five thirty million dollar player, but or uh, of late, but he has MVP potential. And if you need evidence, look at his MVP trophy. Um, so you can't just let this guy walk. If you wanna, you can't let him walk. You can't cut him for no reason. You can. You can try and trade him now when his value is probably at an all-time low, which I would not recommend. I, I think their best move – I mean, if, they like, if there's a deal out there from Bryant that they love, take the deal. But you're better off just running it back for a year, seeing if he can tap into that MVP season again. And at that point, you make a decision. And then like, if, he, if he proves he's worth the money, you pay him the money. If not, you – Offer him the qualifying offer and get the draft pick back. So I was going to say, at a minimum, you get the draft pick compensation. Uh, to me, one team that could be a fit if they're really pushing all the pieces in would be the Braves for next year. Similar like how they got Donaldson for one year in Ozuna. You trade for Bryant. 
Uh, if you're the Cubs and you can get, you know, a Kyle Wright, maybe you make that deal just to shore up the pitching rotation. But I think, um, I think Baez and Contreras are the ones you're going to want to build around. Um, I think Rizzo will take the discount. I think Schwarber finally makes his way to an American League team if the DH isn't universal because the power's there. Just let the guy focus on hitting. He was not built to play defense. Uh, and look, I think um, Brian's gone. I mean, I think you almost need to put Brian in a position. I feel like the Cubs got too creative. I don't know. Is he a left fielder now or is he a third baseman? I think he's played a little bit of both. They move him around with David Boat. Um, I agree. I mean, this is a guy. It's like I feel like this has been a thing throughout baseball where you have these these guys who can play all over the field, but they're always better off if you can just get them comfortable at one position. I I, I think like Lemayhew manages to do it fairly well, but for the most part, just give the guys one position and let them hit. No, I agree. I mean, with a guy like him, especially, it's like you can't. Uh, and maybe that's part of it is they're just they're trying to get cute too much and that MVP year he was locked in at third base I mean we've we've seen guys who struggle whether it's a position change in the field I, I was thinking John Carlin. John Carlin was I was about to say the same thing or a guy moving from the field to DH you've seen baseball players I think more than any other sport we've seen more and more are creatures of habit they are live and die by their routine and if you fuck with that routine I think it shows on the field, and maybe that is what's going on with Brian. And for what it's worth, he's definitely battled injuries these past few years, but injuries happen. Even when he was healthy, he was like a 31-homer, 77-ribby guy, not a 40-homer, 100-plus-ribby guy like he was that MVP year. Uh, and again, maybe that was just one of those years where for the 2016 Cubs, everything clicked right. It, it happens. We see it with teams all the time. Yeah, but I think Brian – The thing, what makes Brian a little different is he was – the MVP didn't come out of nowhere. No, so he what, was rookie of the year and a very herald yeah, prospect. I mean, this was this was expected. I mean, did he peak at a? Did he peak his second year in the season? In the, the second year in the show, did he peak? I guess that's what you're kind of implying here. I mean, I think I think I think so far the answer is yes. Here is my last question with this, and then we'll move on to the Mets. Um, Bryant had been in a big labor dispute with the union because the Cubs pretty clearly kept them down to manipulate a service time. Do you think in some ways though, it's almost a blessing that Bryant isn't hitting free agency this year coming off of what was by far the worst year of his career? Yes, but that's more due to COVID. I mean, you've seen it time and time again, there's one stupid team out there that's willing to out, out, outbid themselves for anybody who has the star power that Bryant has. Someone would have given him that mega deal. But, I mean, with the pandemic, I don't know if people would spend it willy-nilly. All right, moving along. Uh, we'll see where Chris Bryant lands. Chris Bryant, former MVP. This is a guy we're going to talk about next who is a perennial – was a perennial MVP candidate once upon a time for the Yankees. And when you and I oh. got this news, I know we were both very disappointed – we used to say, don't you know, Robbie Cano. Now I'm going to say, say it ain't so, Robbie Cano. Um, on Wednesday, it was revealed that Cano tested positive for Stanzo – how do you say it? Stanzolol, a PED, uh, which is my dad told me, if bodybuilders are just taking steroids for the sake of getting big, this is what they take. So he took the most prominent PED out there. Uh, and given that it is his second time failing the MLB's 
joint drug agreement, he will receive a 162-game suspension without pay and miss the entire 2021 season. Uh, Sandy Alderson said in the statement, we were extremely disappointed to be informed about Robinson's suspension for violating MLB's joint drug prevention and treatment program. The violation is very unfortunate for him, the organization, our fans in the sport. The Mets fully support MLB's efforts towards eliminating PED substances from the game. He previously served an 80-game suspension in 2018 after violating uh, the program for the first time. He was playing for the Mariners then, and he tested positive for furrow as furrows. I can't even say yeah, it. Dude, dude, dude. I, I, I hate to interrupt you. This is just. Did you realize that college basketball is starting tomorrow? Hell yeah. UCLA plays San Diego State, 1030 Eastern tip. This is. So what's that central? 930. Oh, boy. boy. Uh, not a good time to be in a DraftKings or Bavada eligible state. No, not good at all. Um, Cano, the last time he tested positive for a diuretic, which is often used to mask banned substances in urine tests. Um, Cano at the time said, I understand everything that goes into my body and I'm responsible for that. Cano did not do good in 2019, did not hit well at all. But this past year, everyone said, oh my God, Cano's back. 318, 352, 544, over 49 games as a 37-year-old for the Mets, uh, which Cano credited to an off-season workout program that allowed him to keep his legs in peak shape uh, this bro, this trade that Brody made, trading Jared Kalenic for Edwin Diaz and Cano, just gets worse and worse by the day. Uh, Cano will give up his $24 million salary for this year, but is still due $48 million in the 2022 and 2023 season. Uh, he has forfeited so far $35.7 million in salary for his two PED suspensions. Uh, and again, career 303 hitter, 2,624 hits, 334 homers over 16 seasons with the Yanks, Mets, and Mariners. Uh, would be a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Obviously, that case, I would say, is pretty slam shut. Um, so before we get into the implications for the Mets, I mean, I was really bummed about this news. As a Yankee, this guy made the game look so effortless. He had such a sweet left-handed swing. And it's how I felt when I heard A-Rod tested positive or Manny. It's these guys with such unbelievable gifts and raw talent, and they just throw them away because they think they're well, not Cano, I feel like – Look, Cano was probably my favorite player on those Yankee teams. Uh, I, I loved Cano. He was, he was so good. Yeah, first, I, he was great. He's a great hitter. He's known as being a great – when he came up, he was a great fielder too. The Cano – I feel like Cano, he either does or should have a gold glove. He's got, he's got two gold gloves. Um, there was a stretch from 2010 to 2014, his last five seasons with the Yankees. He finished top six in the MVP all five years, all-star all five years. I mean, this guy could just fucking hit. Yeah, and what, one thing I want to say real quick is for any sports writers who are saying, oh, the Yankees dodged such a bullet by not signing Cano in 20, going into the 2014 season, we used that money to sign Jacoby Ellsbury, Carlos Beltran, and Brian McCann. Tanaka paid off, but, I mean, we used that money to give the worst contract in franchise history. So let's pump the brakes like the Yankees did everything right. Uh, I, I think that the Yankees – I mean, I mean, I guess we have to assume that he would still get caught for these PEDs, right? And, right? Or he's, I mean, even though those first couple Seattle years, he was good. I mean, he had a right around 300, although 314 his first year in Seattle. He had three more all-star appearances in Seattle. Last year he hit over 300. I mean – like Cano is still a more than serviceable big league player. I would say an all-star level big league player. The Yankees should have brought him back. 
it's also wild to me that somehow there's still all that money left on this contract. Forty. Also, I think the Yankees beat the Astros in 2016 with Cano at second. 2017. Mm-hmm. You didn't like Starlin Castro there. I did not. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, look, it's it's just Starlin Castro is another guy who's been in the league forever. Forever came up so young. Could be like the sneaky compiler to 3,000 hits if he sneaks around. Or if he uh, sticks around. Not also, to get back to your point on Cano Hall, Cano without these PED suspensions is a no-doubt Hall of Famer. He's like an 85% and higher. And when all is said and done, he's given the amount of time, with, he's, he's, he's going to end up with 3,000 hits and close to 400 homers. I don't think he gets to 3,000 now missing. But if he – I, I don't know who's giving him a chance anymore. That's the problem. I don't, I, don't think, think, I don't think you can, which I was going to – the next question I was going to ask you is, so at this point, do you think it's fair to question Cano's entire career, even dating back with the Yankees? I think you have to. I mean, how, could you, how could you not? That's the tough part about having two, two suspensions on your hand. Yeah. So if you're well, the Mets – the, the first one you could think, oh, he, new contract, new city, you have to live up to it. I didn't love being in Seattle, just thought cheating – but then now that it's two, it's like this guy is a – you mean now you – paragraph one of the Robinson Cano, or you can't go talk about Robinson Cano without mentioning steroids. I think it's like – I will use Nelson Cruz as an example. He failed the PED test. I think, one, it's a mistake. Two, you are branded a cheater. Yeah. So looking at it from the Mets' perspective, that's – Wasn't 20- Cano also loosely in the biogenesis stuff? I believe so. I mean, look, a lot of people are going to point back to this and say – it all traces back to A-Rod. But where'd A-Rod learn it from? That's, you, gotta, you gotta go step back. A-Rod didn't just... A-Rod, A-Rod learned it from someone. Seiko? Probably. I mean, who... Yeah, Seiko. So if you're the Mets, you now have $24 million left and an opening at second base. Um, there's been rumors that maybe they'll go after LeMayhew, but... In my mind, if you're the Mets, you move. You talked about, you know, keeping guys at one position. The best move is to make Jeff McNeil your everyday second baseman and then spend that money maybe on a George Springer or a Real Muto. Uh, if you're the Mets and Steve Cohen, what are you doing with that money? Well, I'd be shocked. I feel like I say this every time I'm on, every week, except for last. Uh, but is going to go back to the Yanks, right? I mean, they'll pay him. And – you want to talk about comfortable somewhere? LeMayhew's comfort level in the Bronx is unlike anything we've ever seen. I mean, that guy, that guy was good before, but he's been an MVP candidate the last two years. All he does is hit. He is an absolute so, machine. I would eliminate the LeMayhew to the Mets rumors. I mean, if you want to drive up the Yankees' price on him, go nuts. That'd be kind of fun for Cohen. Uh, but I mean, Springer, kind of a local kid from Connecticut. Yeah, I, I think he's the one that most likely ends up as a Met. You can move, you can move Nemo to right, and then your outfield is Nemo, Conforto, Springer. You use that. I, I think JT goes back to Philadelphia because Harper's going to blow a fucking gasket if he doesn't. Yeah, that's why. That's exactly that's that's really it. All right, sticking around the National League, I got two pieces. So I think Springer. Uh, is there anyone else? I mean, Bauer. I still think – I said it last week when we were on with my dad, but um, – and we'll talk about, you know, the Padres. I guess we could jump to that right now. Um, the Padres have transitioned their ownership stake where the team chairman shifted from Ron Fowler to now Pete Seidler. 
Uh, I don't think this should make a huge difference, but the 77-year-old Fowler was one of the most outspoken owners uh, when it came to talking about the financial effects of COVID. Um, Seedler, his new title is chairman. He's now the Padres' largest single equity Were the Padres the team that – which team was it that when COVID first hit? What of the teams said, fuck it, we're going to lose money anyway, might as well try and win? I don't know if it was the Padres. The Padres said if we don't make the playoffs, there's going to be a lot of heads rolling over, including mine. Well, I like that. Good thing to say. Seedler is the manager and the founder of Seedler Equity Partners, partners based in Marina Del Rey, moved to San Diego in 2012. Uh, Fowler is still going to handle the negotiations um, for the collective bargaining talks. He's still a minority stakeholder and advisor of the team. Uh, again, but Fowler showed last year was willing to spend money. The Padres had a record payroll. Uh, so I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is assuming Peter Seidler recognizes that he has a young team that, you know, arrived a little bit early, but all the pieces are there for sustained success. I think if you're the Padres, especially given Clevenger got Tommy John surgery, you need to convince Trevor Bauer to come to San Diego and break the bank for him. I just think it makes too much sense not to. He loves San Diego. He's a Southern California boy. Clevenger is his best friend. He loves Tatis. He fucking hates the unwritten rules. And given that they – I mean, Denelson Lament is great, but he's still young and unproven. Yeah, no, you, you can't trust uh, Denelson Lament. Get That's Bauer. That Bauer, to me, Bauer's, San, Di- yeah. San Diego needs to make it happen. I mean, that's the kind of move that would scare the Dodgers. I, I think that would actually that would that would strike some legitimate fear in the Dodgers because that Padres team was close. That Padres team's close as is, and similarly to what I I forgot who I was who was I talking about earlier. Oh, the Braves. Just like with the, the Braves, we said they're young and should get better. The Padres are young and should get better. I mean, dude, the Padres, for what it's worth. Maybe in that matchup against the Dodgers in the second round, if Clevenger and Lament are healthy, maybe they make some noise in that series. Make some, maybe they make some noise or maybe they win. Both. Honestly, the Padres played them well all regular season, and they still all three games against the Dodgers were competitive great games. They just were missing their two aces. Dodgers, the more I say it, I mean, obviously earned their way to the World Series, but you face the Brewers with no Corbin Burns and no Devin Williams. You face the you Padres with that there, too. Dodgers title? No, no, no. Of course not. Uh, I mean, look, it's no different than the fact that the Lakers dodge the Clippers. You know, sometimes teams oh. get lucky, but. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that, the Lakers dodging the Clippers is different. The, the Clippers blew it. The Tigers got injury luck. But, look, I mean, saying any – this goes across sports. Any, you can point to any title in any sport forever and make an injury excuse along the way. Oh, of course, 100%. So, that's a, that's, so that's, those excuses are void in my mind. One, 100%. Um, so I guess my two questions are, let's say right now, um, question one, do you think this Padres ownership – switch and again i know we know very little about the inner details but do you think this will prevent them from being spenders this offseason or maybe not prevent but make them any less likely to be i mean they're the padres how likely are they to spend in the first place dude they two off seasons in a row had you know between the hosmer contract which was eight for 144 and then machado for 300 they've broken the bank the past few years yes that is correct numbers back you up there but I, but I agree. Call, it's the Padres. I wouldn't call them perpetual spenders by any stretch of the imagination. No. 
All right, and let's make a prediction right now. It'll be – we just predicted where we think Springer and JT end up. I think Bauer's going to end up in San Diego. Where do you think he ends up? Bauer's such a hard guy to predict. I, the, I like the fit with him in San Diego the best, but you know what I'm going to say? As of today, my prediction with him, I think he re-ups in Cincinnati for a year. I think he liked it. I think if he's willing to go year to year, like he said from the outset, then Cincinnati yeah. makes a lot of sense. Uh, obviously, whatever they do, I mean, it worked. He's the Cy Young, he's the Cy Young Award winner at the moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, do I, have I put have I sent Stroman anywhere new this week? I have not. Well, I kind of like Stroman as all these teams back. Oh, Stroman went back to the Mets. I was gonna say you can't do it. <laughs> I forgot after I sent him to every team in the league. He just said, you know what? Screw this kid. I'm going to just re-up in New York. Nothing fun there. Yeah, I kind of took the wind out of my – Man, Bauer ended up – if Cohen really goes nuts for this Bauer contract, that rotation's looking nice. If they sign Bauer and then they get Syndergaard back um, – I even forgot about Syndergaard. Yeah, that's real good. That is real, real good. But they would still have to unseat the defending champ Dodgers. I got two piece, two quick pieces of Dodgers news for you. Uh, one, this past week, Andrew Friedman was named executive of the year – uh, voting was done by all 30 clubs, each of which cast a vote prior to the postseason. Rick Hahn of the White Sox came in second. Eric Neander of the Rays came in third. Where did um Where did the Red Sox team go in that? In the executive where did Haim go? Don't I don't have the full breakdown, but that's a great transition. Bringing up Haim. is it possible? I mean, look, I'm sure given their success, that only added to it. But I think in a lot of the ways, once Friedman acquired Mookie Betts before the season. They were going to have to have a catastrophically bad year, especially if the postseason wasn't included, for Friedman to not win the Executive of the Year award. Well, anytime you get – well, I guess Cashman was in the running. If Garrett, if Garrett Cole had put together a um, – if Garrett Cole had put together what he did in Houston, then Cashman could probably get it. I mean – but anytime you acquire the best player in the sport, you're doing your job well. So a guy who was the best player in the National League in 2019 on those Dodgers teams, Cody Bellinger, he underwent surgery last Tuesday to repair the right shoulder he dislocated, celebrating a homer in Game 7 of the NLCS. Should be out 10 weeks, which would be put him on track to start spring training. Uh, but my question for you is, I mean, we've seen guys, and again, this is very far from an apples-to-apples comparison because Bellinger's so young, so athletic. But I remember when Adrian Gonzalez got shoulder surgery and so much of that homer and doubles gap power just completely was sapped and his career was never the same. I think Cody bounces back from this, but shoulder surgery is a real deal procedure. Uh, do you think if you're a Dodgers fan, especially given that you're going to have to choose between Seager, Bellinger and Bueller, one of these years, this gives you a slight pause or cause for concern for the future. I, um, I mean, yes and no. I, I think you still really have – I mean, the Dodgers are just in such an interesting spot because they're so good and so loaded that instead of having to choose between it's – not, it's not like Bellinger's on the Pirates where giving Bellinger that massive contract would hamstring the franchise forever. But the Dodgers, if down the line they have to make that choice between a Bellinger or a Seager or if they're the team that ends up getting Lindor in a trade or if they're a team that gets Aaron, someone along – I mean, it, I, the question is now, is Bellinger the stars you want? Is Bellinger the star you want to throw all your money behind? 
if there's this injury concern. Because the shoulder, shoulder things are scary. Any sort of shoulder injury, that's what, those are those are never good. Especially for a a center fielder and b a guy who does who credited his MVP season to the launch angle revolution. It's very hard to get under the ball if your shoulder is completely fucked. Yes. So it's a good problem for the Dodgers to have the fact that they you know still have to decide between Bellinger, Seager, and Bueller. But I think it's just something to monitor going forward. I think Bellinger will be fine just because. I think he's a stud. And if anything, it's good. Get this repaired and get it done with so that if you're giving high fives right before the World Series, your shoulder's not going to pop out again because that's really, really bad and embarrassing. Um, I mean, look, if that's a, that's a tough way to lose a shoulder. Yes. Uh, going back to flushing, we were talking about two weeks ago, uh, who's going to be the Mets' next president of baseball operations. Uh, and it looks like they hit a few snags. They wanted to interview David Stearns, uh, the 35 year old president of the Brewers, but they were declined there. Uh, Matt Arnold, who was the, at the time, uh, assistant GM of the Brewers, and they were interested in him. They just moved him up to senior VP and general manager. Uh, so the Brewers are all locked up. Mike Chernoff of the Indians, uh, they were asked, they asked permission from Cleveland, Chernoff declined. Again, we thought he would be a great fit just because he's a New York guy. His dad runs WFAN. Uh, but again, he declined. So Sandy Alderson had a press conference yesterday saying he's going to focus on hiring a GM for this year. And he is essentially going to take over the role of president of baseball ops for this season. Um, given that Sandy didn't must, didn't want to be that hands-on on the baseball side of things this year, do you think this changes the Mets – off-season perspective or I guess what they're going to do this off-season I think their off-season perspective is we have the richest owner in the league let's use a bunch of money I agree I don't think it was going to change who was running the show Um, but my later question for you is do you think if the Mets are successful this year given all the experience Alderson has that maybe Steve Cohen just says hey we wanted you in team the team president role but at this point would you just be willing to stick around as president of baseball ops Man, I don't know. He's old. Man, I, it's, I don't, it's tough projecting with old people. They're old. I might just wake up one day and say, fuck it, not for me anymore. That's the meaning of life right there. Bryce Holden describing life in a nutshell. You live, you get old, you croak, you serve with the Mets. Uh, a couple of hot stove rumors before we wrap up. Uh, and again, a trade is not forthcoming or anything but there are rumors according to multiple sources that the Rays have told other clubs that they're opening the idea of trading Blake Snell uh they're not actively shopping him but he's three years and 42 million remaining on his five-year 50 million dollar extension won the Cy Young in 2019 was dominant this whole postseason I mean, I'm not don't even just skip up I mean we knew I think Snell asked for a trade well, my question is for you. I mean, if you're the Rays, you just took – if you're a Rays fan, your team just went to game six of the World Series, and then you lose Snell and – more. you trade away Snell and lose Morton, who was your most reliable big game. Well, they would, they, they would not trade Snell unless – I'd, I'd have faith in their front office to get a good home back for Snell. I agree with you. All right, so two-part question. If you're the Rays, given what the Rays do, would you trade Snell this offseason? Assuming he did not ask for a trade, uh, which, again, is an assumption given how the World Series ended. No, I, I mean, look, I, I'm not reporting that Blake Snell asked for a trade. That would be out of character for me to do and out of line. So I will not report that. But if I was Blake Snell, I would have demanded a trade based on how the manager and the front office used me as more of a, more of a number than a human being in the World Series. So do I, if I'm Tampa, I don't 
I don't even consider trading this guy unless it's a knock your socks off type offer. He is, I mean, did you not see the last time he started? He, hey, he had put, he had done everything you want the best pitcher in baseball to do. He shut down the Dodgers lineup through, what was it, five and a third? It was the pitching change that broke baseball and the internet. Yeah. So he did everything right. Uh, what team, what was the next part? What, what team should try and trade for Snell? Or what team could you see making the move? Well, the short answer is all 39 teams should be trading for a guy like that on that contract. What team could do it? Angels. Do you think they have the fall? Yeah, honestly, if they traded Joe Adele and maybe another young arm, I don't know who that young arm would be, but it's a doable trade for them. If you make Adele the centerpiece of it, and then you just throw a bunch of other stuff there, right? I would say the favorite if he gets traded, because they'll want to be traded close to home, would be the Mariners. Uh, he's from Washington. It's not that big of a contract to take on, and they just have so many prospects that I think it's one of those moves where if he gets traded, it would make too much sense not to happen. Yeah, but what is that? I mean, the thing is, what does that move do for Seattle long term? I think you just hope he's the ace for a few years, and then you lock him up again when some of the younger guys are, you know, really ready to contribute. I mean, that's more of a long term play. You're not wrong with that that guess, especially if he doesn't want to go close to home. But maybe he just counts all of West Coast. I mean, if you put Snell on the Angels, I mean, maybe is that the piece that finally gets them over the hump? I think. I think Snell, Bundy, and you have Otani back on the mound by midseason, that's a wild card team. Might be the best team in the AL West, depending on how Houston's offseason goes. And same with Oakland. Uh, but you mentioned the Angels pitching, which is a great transition for me. Uh, the one Angels pitcher that they have been linked to early on is J.A. Happ. When God, are these, that is so fucking classic. I was going to say, <laughs> when are these guys going to learn that signing mediocre to average pitchers isn't the way to get Mike Trout in the playoffs. Yeah, that's uh, – that's... And, I mean, look, half last year the peripheral numbers were fine. 3-4-7 ERA, 105 whip and nine starts, but he's not a big game pitcher. And to he's me this is – the team, the, the team needs Snell. It's right Snell. in line with Julio Tehran, Trevor Cahill. It's just like if you're yeah, not going to sure. sign the guy, give your young arms a shot. Exactly. Oh, God, that is that – is, that, is, that is silly. That is just silly by the – and Albert's, what could be Albert's last year, the best you're going to do for him is J.A. Hat. Unbelievable. No, they should, I'm, I actually really like the Snell to the Angels. If you could do that, I think if they offer Joe Adele for Snell, that trade probably gets it done. Adele, I mean, it would be Adele plus. Yeah, I don't know, maybe Adele and Griff Canning gives the Rays another young arm, young arm, former top two-round pick, and a top offensive prospect. I think that gets it done. Just Aria, we should be. I, I, I think so. New I like GM that. in Anaheim, Perry. Come listen to us. Probably not though. All right, my last. This is this seems like. I love this. I love this idea. My last point on the Dodgers, and I'll wrap up the hot stove. Um, the Dodgers remain interested in trading for Nolan Arenado. I don't think I don't think Colorado trades him within the division. Okay. But let's just picture this hypothetical. They re-sign Turner, move him to first. Muncie becomes the everyday second baseman. Arenado plays third. Um, what, do you, what kind of haul, given how – I mean, look, Arenado and Stanton are at different points from when they got traded. But Stanton was coming off winning the MVP. Um, and Arenado's contract is so, so massive. 
what do you think the Dodgers, if the Color, if the Rockies got over the fact that they're both in the NL West, what do you think that trade package has to look like for the Dodgers? Might require Muncie. Well, I was going to say they have Gavin Lux, who's the second baseman and is one of the top five prospects. This trade, this trade would look like what the Mookie Betts trade should have looked like. Do you trade if you're the Dodgers and they say we want Lux and Urias? Do you make that trade? No doubt. What about Lux, Urias, and Gonsolin? With more doubt. What about Lux, Urias, and Dustin May? That's too much, right? That, to me, tilts it a little bit towards Colorado. I mean, I still think yeah. – I just think if you're the Dodgers and you can make a deal like that, you bet on yourself because all you've done is turn out stud starting pitchers for a decade. Yeah, I mean – And you can always spend money to get another free agent arm. The, prob- the real problem is are you going to take on that Arenado contract knowing the Bueller, Seager, and Bellinger extensions all are coming in the next few years? I, I think, think that's, that's how they'd, they'd probably have to tell Colorado. That's how they have to sell it to Colorado and not give up all this – these is that to do that whole, uh, we're giving you a favor, but we're taking on all this capital. Correct. Yeah. But I, I just don't think that he gets dealt with in the division. I think he's good. I think he's going to end up on the Yankees. Oh, nothing could possibly go wrong there at this point. Yeah. He's sick. Yeah. Nothing. You think no- Trevor Bauer would go to Colorado just to, just to be a dick to everybody? Just to prove a point? If they paid him, maybe. I think – that's kind of like if anyone were you think he just signs a big deal in Colorado to say that I can pitch in Colorado I'm the best pitcher ever. Um, I would hope not, but if there's anyone who would do it, it is Bauer. Bauer's a Bauer's a goofball. All right, two quick things, and then we will call it a week heading into Thanksgiving. Uh, a roll this Chapman. He got his suspension reduced to two games uh, for throwing at Mike Rousseau's head. I mean, what do we even make of that? Who I, to cares? me. To that's, me, like a, that's like a who cares story to me. To me, it just shows how little they actually care about people throwing at people. Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a better way to put it than a who cares story. These guys, they, they throw at people and it's bad news. Like, it's so dangerous. So dangerous. It's and, so dangerous. And it's never too early to start looking to opening day, but ESPN, April 1st, April Fool's opening day this year, four-game slate, starts with the Blue Jays visiting the Yanks at one, Dodgers, Rockies at four, Mets, Nats at seven, Astros, A's at 10. Which of those games are you looking forward to the most on opening day? Uh, objectively speaking, I know the answer for us as Yankee fans is the Yankees, but as a baseball fan, which do you think will be the best game? I mean, it's probably the Dodgers-Rockies game, even though I want to – because uh, you get – I mean, Cole, uh, you want to see Cole pitch. But you want to see Kershaw pitch and opening. The Dodgers have just been hitting a million home runs on opening day lately. And if they're going to get one in Colorado, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Mets Nationals just because anytime I could see Degrom Scherzer on opening day, uh, Ooh, we're not. Gonna, a, we're not. Gonna, I feel like we get like six Degrom Scherzer matchups a year now. I know, but they're both getting older. I don't know how much longer we're going to see it for, so I'm going to cherish it while I can. But. Cole Ryu will be a great opening day matchup uh, in Houston and Oakland facing off for the first time since the A's bounced, got bounced by the Astros in the postseason. Uh, should be good as well. Yeah, but those two teams might look very different. They, I think they will look very different. But we will see as the offseason progresses. Uh, any concluding thoughts for this week's show, my friend? 
Uh, get your flu shots and be safe and during the holidays when you go out. If you're lucky enough to see family, make sure you're not doing anything stupid before to put the elderly members of your family at increased risk. Be smart. Keep your grandparents safe. Watch some football. Eat some turkey. And overall, just have a fantastic Thanksgiving. With Bryce Holden, my name is Chase Wadorski. This is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show.